Welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. I am Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive. Joined as always by Ben Raven from the, the comfort of our homes. Ben, for the last time wow. all week, <laughs> it's, it's combine week here in the NFL, here on the Lions beat. Are you ready for the onslaught that, that awaits us in India? I've been holding my little cute dog close all day today. Just just getting some physical therapy and emotional therapy before the long week ahead. It's a, it's a, it's a very daunting, aggressive water hose drinking week for sure. So much stuff. I had some people over to my house last night to watch The Last of Us. I, 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 have you been watching that show? I played the video game, but I have not watched the show yet. Um, so I know the emotional ride you're going through right now. Yeah, yeah, you got to watch it. It's, it's, I, I find it quite good. And like zombie movies are not, and, and shows are typically not my thing, but it's so well done. And, you know, Pedro Pascal is just, you know. I'll watch just about anything with him in a period. Yeah. No doubt. But yeah, I, I had people over last night to watch that and it was like peaceful. And like, I definitely thought like in the middle of like uh, six or seven of us watching that show, I'm like, oh man, this is like my, my last peaceful moment of the week. <laughs> I know, man. You got, you got 300 of the best college players all in one place. You've got, I, I mean, damn near every head coach. Usually it's, it's close to all, although maybe one or two aren't making the trip this year. I, I haven't seen, but most of the GMs will be there, scouts, personal departments from every team. And downtown Indianapolis is not that big. So wherever you go, you're going to run into somebody who is a power broker or decision maker or player in this sport of ours. And it's a fascinating, fascinating week. It's a lot of work too, because just how many, I mean, it's just a crushing number of interviews. I think one of the big misnomer, Ben, that people have about what the combine is like is we don't watch a single drill, not peasants like us anyway. I mean, we're not we're sitting there watching 40s with a stopwatch. Like we are backstage, if you will, in a giant interview room. I mean, giant, like there's, what is it? Probably 10 podiums, give or take, plus a bunch of tables and concurrent interviews happening with most of the players. And then we'll also get Dan Campbell down there, Brad Holmes. This year, we're getting the three coordinators as well. And just a little teaser for the podcast later in the week, we're also getting Alliance Scout, which is pretty exciting. That's not something we usually get, but we've arranged an interview with Joe Kelleher, who's assistant pro personnel director for the Lions. And he's going to give us a lot of great insights on the podcast later in the week about just what it's like to actually be at the combine, because it's not exactly what people think, I don't think. No, it's not. It's not at all. I mean... The room that we work out of is just like a giant open space warehouse with 1990s hotel carpeting and walls. We're not watching any athletic moments. We're just talking for five hours straight, transcribing and writing our brains off. I mean, seriously, I might go to bed the second we stop recording this. Just prepare for it. Yeah, no, I remember last year, Ben, you and I, like last year was in prime time and this year they're not doing in prime time, which I'm extremely, exceedingly thankful for. But I remember you and I like, I mean, a lot of people are out on the town doing their thing and networking. And we had an ask last year to do a podcast from Combine. And we were trying to do it on the, the receivers, which made a lot of sense. The Lions were on the hunt for a receiver. And obviously, they took one. <laughs> and they wanted one badly because they traded away assets. Go get yeah. him. But the, the receivers last year were just amazing. That class was so good. And there were so many good athletes. And the Lions had a need there as well, right? So we're thinking, okay, we're going to watch these guys compete on, you know, on TV like wow. everyone else, and then we're going to do a podcast. And we kept waiting for the official results, and they, <laughs> they were delayed. And we knew, I mean, we knew what we could talk about and what the Lions were looking for, and that these guys were just hella fast. So we're like, okay, we're just going to record this podcast now, and then and we'll like kind of word around the particulars when it comes to the official times, and we do it. And then we have a couple of beers and we're hanging out, waiting for the official times to come through before sending off the audio. And then a finally, like late in the night, those official times come down and they were dramatically different than the unofficial times, which is kind of a, a anomaly. And we're like, shit, <laughs> we record this. It was like the middle of the night and we had to get up early for more stuff in the morning. It was just, Combine's a yeah. difficult week. It is a fun week. Ben, how many combines have you been to? This will be my third combine. Yeah, third combine. Yeah, because I, I started 2019 training camp. So I've, I've been every year besides that first season on the B. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm an wow. indie regular, baby. 
So, well, I'm just curious, do you have any, what's your favorite mem- memory of, what, what's been your favorite story, I guess? I don't know of, of those weeks. We, we've just talked to so many people. Yeah. yeah. Ordered around town. Definitely <laughs> come back. Uh, yeah, definitely burned a brain cell or two down yeah. there between lack of sleep and other other things going on. But what's, what stands out to you from your time down in Indy? Professionally, I, I just loved getting to know Julian Aquara ahead of the draft. And I love the story I got to tell there. And then lo and behold, the guy lands with the team. So it was like, heck yeah, bullseye on that one right there. It just felt like a lot of times you walk away from podium stories, you get solid stories. Maybe you'll group together and break down a position group. But like walking away from Julian, I remember I talked to him for a minute after he talked and just like, getting to know him a little bit and really just kind of connecting with him before he landed. And then I saw like the value of that when that dude's at training camp as a rookie. And he's like, Hey, there's that big goofy dude that was talking to me for way longer than anybody else in Indy. That was cool to see that kind of come to fruition, the long-term plan of it. But socially, I just, I'll just always remember the first, the first meal, the first travel night out with the lion's beat, the famous charcuterie board, well, you know, with Chris Burke and you and Justin Rogers and all those guys. And it was just kind of like a, cool moment of like man i've been grinding for six and a half years doing a little bit of everything to like get to this point right here to be with these dudes on this beat so like that's like this charcuterie board that's get this charcuterie board right here (laughs) kyle's been telling me about the charcuterie board for a year (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh it lives up to the hype too unless you're dave bucat from the freak and then it's quote unquote i'm not into deli meats is what i believe the direct quote (laughs) which was a stain on his character believe me no for for me though like i've been going since 2012 12, I think, or maybe 13. I was on the Michigan beat. I went down there to cover some Michigan guys. And then obviously every year since I started covering the Lions in 2013. So I've, I mean, I'm a, a regular. I think I could have saved some money by buying a timeshare down there a number of years ago. But I got to say, though, I was thinking about it myself. I'm like, oh, like, what is my best story? I don't I don't know if it's the best or not. But the one that stands out to me is the off season where this, this is a number of years ago. I think this would be the Caldwell years. Yeah, that's right. Caldwell years. And they had just hired Jim Bob Gooder. Or pro- sorry, not hired him, but promoted him to offensive coordinator. I'm not sure what year this would be. I guess probably around 2016, give or take. But we were having breakfast with Martin Mayhew, who was the general manager at the time. And one of our colleagues, I'm not going to single them out, because I, I don't know if this is like totally on the record or whatever, but one of our colleagues had asked about Jim Bob Cooter and just lost his, his shit. It's trying to get the name Jim Bob Cooter out for, for the obvious reasons. I think we're all kind of like, we both have callousness to it now, but when he was first like coming to the floor in Detroit, everyone's like, wait, his name is really Jim Bob Cooter. And our colleague was was trying to ask Martin Mayhew about him. And he's sitting like one foot away from Martin. <laughs> Just losing his his mind trying to say the name Jim Bob Cooter. And eventually he collects himself and Mayhew's response is just like, really? Really? Like <laughs> so funny. Oh, I love that. I love that story. I made the podcast because I've heard that story every yeah. time we go down there. It's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Ben, obviously a lot of stuff is going to happen this week. We're going to talk to a lot of guys. And like I said before, we're going to have a podcast later in the week from the combine centering on the Lions, what they have to say down there. But obviously a big part of it too is the guys and what they have to say to us. More importantly, what they have to say to teams, the medical checks they go through. And then of course, the the actual events, which fans are most interested in. I think it's actually for teams, the least important part of the week. It, like the tests really just kind of confirm what these guys have already seen on tape for a year, sometimes two years. Right. And if there's a, a misalignment between how they test, whether it's better or worse than, than expected, then maybe you go back to the tape and, and, and figure out the discrepancy and why it exists. But for teams, it, it's a really useful week when it comes to having their own team doctors getting their hands on on players and seeing for themselves whether they're healthy and, and if they've suffered injuries, how they've healed. That's a critical part of the process, particularly for players with injury histories and teams figure out where they want to, you know, roll the dice on an injured player and so forth. That's a very useful week from that point of view. I think the, you know, 40-yard dash, the bench press, <laughs> I don't think it's nearly as important as fans think. But having said that, Ben, there's going to be a lot of movement Obviously, with the board after this week, and we'll file our second mock drafts the week after the combine. Once you know some of the dust settles, we did release our first mock drafts last week. So we kind of thought then that you know it'd be an interesting way to preview the combine like to the context of our our mock drafts and and just where we land for Detroit, some of the top guys we've seen the draft, maybe some of the big questions about some of these guys, and what we'll be looking for this week as as our board begins to take shape moving forward in a more meaningful way. 
So with that being said, to the mock drafts, our top fives, so this is the five guys off the board for Detroit at number six were identical. The order was a little bit different. We don't have to go too far into that. I think people are most interested in the Lions angle, but we did both have Will Anderson going first, the edge rusher from Alabama. Ben, how much consideration did you give to Jalen Carter? Because I think once I filed mine, I think maybe the big question I had top of the board was, am I, am I undervaluing Jalen Carter? Because he's number one for a lot of folks. And I don't know if that's just right in the coattails of what happened last year with Trayvon Walker, or if he is legitimately being considered over an edge rusher. I think, I, you know, I, I'm curious about that because edge rusher is the more premium position and Will Anderson is a terrific player. And yeah, I'm seeing a lot of Jalen Carter out there. Just curious where, you know, why you picked Will Anderson number one and how much consideration you gave to Jalen Carter. Yeah, you teed it up perfectly. I mean, I, I gave a decent amount of consideration to just Jalen Carter because I'm seeing all the stuff you're seeing too. And you read everything on him and you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. But then I think about Will Anderson and just what he was able to do as an edge rusher in the SEC. I mean, people talk about a dip in his game. It's only because he went from ungodly numbers to 17 tackles for loss and 10 sacks. I just see Will Anderson as a stone cold game changer. And we'll see if the Bears even have that top pick. By the time April rolls around, but we're not into the mock trades like a lot of other people are, thank God. And uh, I just, I, I just valued a kind of home run blue chipper edge rusher over a defensive tackle, an interior defender, no matter how much he could help or how much he could do. I completely agree with you. I'm a little surprised at how much Jalen Carter is out there at number one. I do think, and maybe we're wrong, but I, I do think the further we get into this process, we're going to see the edge rushers rise above him. I, that's just my personal opinion. And Carter is amazing. And I think he would be an amazing fit for Detroit. And if he is still oh, yeah. there at four or five, I would not be surprised to see the Lions make a trade up the board for him. Because for as much as they need a cornerback, and we're going to get into that discussion a little bit later in the podcast, they also need interior defensive line help. And and he is the best in this draft and not only good against the run, but he is phenomenal in, a, in the pass rush and he would add something there. I think he would give them what they thought they were getting in Hanzarika in, in, some, in some degrees. And you throw him into a defensive line mix with Aiden Hutchinson and, and uh, James Houston coming off the edge and so on. I think you've really, you've really got something good there. He's not going to make it a six, I don't think. <laughs> that would be I a don't shock. Think so. It would take a train <laughs> up the board. But like, like you were saying, like he's in that discussion for being the best player in the strap and if he's there for a Lions team that needs a player at that position at number four or number five yeah man I'm, I'm on I'm on board for a trade I just didn't see it at number one now there was the trades as you said Ben I probably will do one in, in future editions of the mock and I don't normally like doing it just because I I feel like the mock drafts are such a crapshoot anyway like we're just throwing darts at the board best that we can they're always wrong <laughs> always <laughs> I don't think they would says that this is how it's going to shake out. I certainly don't know how it's going to shake out. It's just me understanding the league as much as I can, certainly mm -hmm. the Lions, and then plugging guys in and what way it makes sense. But having this, having said that, Ben, we have to do, I think, trades because there will be trades. Yeah. And it's just a quarterback-driven league. You need good quarterback play at least to win in this league and win consistently. You really need an elite player at that position. It's very rare in today's NFL that anyone can be a perennial contender without elite quarterback play. Those guys are just so hard to come by. There's a couple of good ones in this draft. It's not particularly a deep quarterback class. And so I think you are going to see teams jostling at the top. Lions are sitting at six. You know, you could see two quarterbacks easy going in the top five. I have both Bryce Young from Alabama, obviously, and CJ Stroud from Ohio State, both in my top five. You do as well. So Will Levis is there from Kentucky. He's got all the tools. Maybe that, not, not the production, but he's got the ceiling and the tools the team to look for. And then there's a huge conversation around Anthony Richardson, which again, we're going to get to later in the in the pod. You know, I see him in, the, in, in most top 20s. I don't remember where, I think I had him going to Carolina number nine. I think I have right here, actually. Yeah, Carolina number nine. It, ben, it wouldn't be surprising to me to see him go fifth. Maybe sixth overall, if there's a trade with Detroit, maybe seventh, because there are so many teams that need a quarterback, including teams that are in the top 10 and could trade manageably into position to get their quarterback. The Bears are at number one, right? They're not taking a quarterback. They've said as much in reports this week. Uh, they're, they're building around Justin Fields, which makes sense. But there's a lot of teams, including Houston, number two, that do need a quarterback. You've got Indianapolis at number four, maybe Seattle at number five, depending on what happens with Geno. Carolina at number nine and Vegas at, at number seven. All need quarterbacks to some degree. There could be, there, there should be, there will be movement in the 
top five, including possibly at number one now for these quarterbacks. And Ben, if there is, and a third quarterback goes in the top five, that's outstanding news for Detroit, yeah. which like could take a quarterback, but it's not obviously not a huge need. And that would push more options down to Detroit number six, including, interestingly for me, uh, Tyree Wilson, who I have going number five, the uh, edge rusher from Texas Tech. And if there is a third quarterback that like, goes in the top five, that would push a guy like Wilson or a guy like Will Anderson or a guy like Jalen Carter down to the lines. And that would be, I mean, that'd be like hitting the lottery. No, the, one of those three is 100%. I mean, even when I made my pick, I was like, Anderson, Carter, and Wilson are off the board, so I'm going with the next best guy. I mean, those those three are the dream catcher scenarios for sure. It's really easy just to see like Jalen Carter in the middle of that defense with so much talent on the edges or you supercharge what is already looking like a blossoming thing in, in the pass rush with an Anderson or a Wilson. Those guys are a lot different than Aiden throwing another different body in there. I mean, that's uh, it's really easy to kind of project or estimate how that would help this defense take the next step forward. But for sure, I mean, Anderson, Carter, Wilson, those three guys, I mean, get another quarterback in that top five and you're setting this team up very, very nicely for exactly what they need in the trenches. Absolutely. Totally agree. So like I said before, we have different orders in the top five, but the same five guys off the board for the lines at number six. Those five guys were Will Anderson, Bryce Young, Jalen Carter, CJ Stroud, and Tyree Wilson, the edge defender from Texas Tech. So with those five guys off the board and the line sitting at number six, we went different directions, which I like because it gives us something I think to talk about. You went with, well, first of all, I went with, I went with the Clemson edge rusher, Miles Murphy. You went with the Illinois cornerback, Devon Witherspoon. So let's start with yours, Ben. Why did you go with Witherspoon over, you know, Murphy and a number of other players, including Will Levis, Pierce Johnson, Anthony Richardson, bunch of guys there, Ben. Why did you go with Witherspoon? I, I just think in terms of play style, fit, positional need, I, I just think Devin Witherspoon kind of checked every single box for me. I think he's easily like the feistiest defensive back in this draft. I mean, he is ready to throw hands like every single play. It looks like the way he covers guys. PFF's top coverage cornerback, PFF's top overall quarterback, 25.3 passer rating allowed. He did this playing a lot of press coverage. A lot of man coverage. Man, it really sounds like I'm talking about Jeff Okuda from a couple of years ago. This stuff really repeats itself. And so, uh, and I just think that like Witherspoon is someone that gives gives you a potential guy that you can throw on one side of the field and say, shut that guy down, play some press. We're not going to shade you with the safety help that kind of shifts our defense. I, I, I do see like a potential island guy in him. I mean, people will point to maybe this was a one-year wonder, but man, what a year it was. And I will kind of defend that. Illinois is at a pretty deep, deep, defensive backfield since Brett Bielema returned to the Big Ten and took over there. So it's kind of like, this is somebody that waited for his chance here. And I mean, he absolutely broke out. 18 forced incompletions. Great stuff in the run defense. His coverage ability. I mean, he, he looks like, I love the comparison. I, I, I've heard some Darius Slate comparisons and I see it. He's feisty. He, he loves getting up in the grill of somebody. And I just think that Aaron Glenn would just absolutely love working with this dude. And I really think that it allows you to play around with Jeff Okuda a little bit more, trying to figure out a fit and what he is at the next level for sure. I'm curious how much, if at all, did the Lions already taking a cornerback at number three, just, you know, just in 2020, just four drafts ago. Did that weigh into your thinking at all? It's a, and I asked that because it's a, a rare thing for, for corners to go in the top six. I actually looked it up. It's happened five times in the last decade with Sauce and Derek Stingley. Last year, obviously, and then before that, Okuda at number three in 2020, Denzel Ward at number four in 2018, and Jalen Ramsey at number five in 2016. So on the one hand, that's a pretty good hit rate. I mean, Sauce was like one of the best players in the league last yeah, year. Yeah. Denzel Ward, Jalen Ramsey, great, really good players. You know, we'll see on Stingley and Okuda. It's kind of a, it hasn't turned out well. But my point just being that that teams don't usually invest so many draft resources in that position. Did you give any consideration to that? Do you have any alarm in that, that you'd have so much investment tied up in that one position on the roster? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. The one thing I just kept kind of coming back to is like, that was Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia's last draft. First traffic was Jeff Okuda. And so far it's been a swing and a miss. And I just would have a hard time kind of thinking about that if I'm Brad Holmes. I mean, I'm looking at that room and there's some holes in that cornerback room. I mean, they need more than one corner. And I just think that it's a really talented group of first round cornerbacks, but I do see Witherspoon above that group. Just I just see such a natural, natural ability in coverage, that stuff that Okuda had coming in. I mean, that 
the the second I was writing that pick out, I'm like, man, it feels like I'm exactly writing what I wrote for Okuda a couple of years ago. And that, that definitely did sound a couple of alarms, but it was just kind of like, you know what? It's such a big hole. I feel pretty confident in this kid's ability. I see a lot of great things here. I just kept coming back to, man, Aaron Glenn and this kid, like that is a match made in heaven, I think, for Aaron Glenn to get what he needs on the outside. But definitely alarms, but I powered through it. I'm like, you know, that's a previous regime. It hasn't worked out. You've got a hole. You've got the assets to do it. So go get it and fill it. For me, when I thought about the corners, because the, the need is obvious, you know, and, and teams, even teams that use best player available in a pretty pure way, they're still weighing best player available within the context of their needs. So needs are always relevant. And I think at the end of the day, smart teams will they'll weigh the needs, but more important is getting the, the best player available because while Plugging a need might alleviate some pain for a year or so. Needs change dramatically from one year to the next. And teams should really mind just getting the best player available. Because if you plug a need with, say, the best corner, but you pass on a all-pro receiver or an all-pro at some other position, you'll be remembered for being the team that didn't take Odell, but you took Eric Ebron, you know, or whatever. And so with the Lions, like the corner need this year speaks for itself. It's, I mean, they- Henry Jacobs, an undrafted guy, is like their only sure thing. And I like Jerry a lot. I just don't know if he's a, a CB1 in this league. I think he would be an awesome CB2, a, a guy you can like definitely run with a starter on a winning team. But I don't know if he's flagging like top receiver week to week. You know what I'm saying? Like he definitely needs a running mate. And he does not have that right now with Oruwarie falling off the planet and, and hit it, heading for free agency. McHughes is heading for free agency. Jeff Okuda has a fifth-year option for 2024 that I think the Lions will ultimately turn down, which means he'll be going into a contract year. The time is now to invest in that position, but I don't know. Like I, For me, I there's some edge rushes that I like more, including Miles Murphy, which is why I went with him. Also, I think the top of the cornerback class is is pretty deep, and there's going to be Joey Porter in that mix. The kid from Oregon, Christian Gonzalez, who I like a lot, is also in the mix. So I could see the Lions going with a different position. In, in, in my case, an edge rusher, which is a more premium position anyway, at number six. And then you can take a corner 18, and if there's a run in corners that you're nervous about, they still have the ammunition where they can move up from 18 to 14 or 15 or what have you and go get their Christian Gonzalez or, or whoever is there. And there's some more corners lurking in the back half of the, ra- of the round too. Kaylee Ringo from Georgia is a phenomenal athlete. The kid from South Carolina, I'm forgetting his name in the moment. Yeah, Cam Smith, yeah. Dave, man, I, and I love his film. And he's not the athlete that these other top corners are, but when you, like, I, I watched him in his film, man. <laughs> and I really like what I saw in coverage from Hill, man. And so I just think that you can still satisfy that need later in the first round, which to me aligns better with the value of a corner anyway, and then go get a premier, another premier edge rusher at number six. And you're just checking more and more boxes with this defense. And that's why I went with, with Miles Murphy. And make no mistake, I love Tyree Wilson. And if he is there, I hope Brad Holmes gets reprimanded again by the league for, for setting the picket too quickly, because I just think he's a monster. He's like when I watch him, Ben, you know who it reminds me of is is Romeo Okora, but with like a higher ceiling. Like Romeo's a nice player. I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not trying to like, you know, besmirch his name or anything. But Wilson is like that, but like just a premier athlete and would be a great fit. He's off my board, which is why I went with Miles Murphy. And another great fit. 14 and a half sacks the last two years at Clemson, 25 and a half tackles for loss. I mean, the production is there. He's a, a big body that is really good against the run. Like, so, you know, he's a two-way edge player, which is what they really need. Dude, he might be a freak this week. Like, oh, like, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Miles Murphy is like one of the, the bells of this week. And you see him on all these lists of winners of the combine, all that stuff. He's 6'5", 275, benches 405, deadlifts 505, and can run the 40 in four or five. That's per Bruce Feldman's freaks <laughs> list, top freaks in college football. Oh, yeah. So, and we'll, so we'll see. Sometimes those numbers get inflated, you know, but like, but we'll, we'll see this weekend. If those numbers hold, man, that's a freak athlete, super strong, extremely, extremely strong. And you pair a guy like that with where you have an Aiden Hutchinson and James Houston, and you have some combination of Romeo Aquara and Charles Terrestone under contract, Julian's under contract. 
I mean, this rookie class, right? We saw what they did last year. Most sacks in NFL history for rookie class was really good down the stretch. The defense got better because of it. And now you add another premier edge rusher to that mix that I, I think you do on that side of the ball what they've already done on the offensive side, which is you've prioritized that position for so long that you've stockpiled a, a strength. And not just good players, but it's an actual strength that can pose its will on, on the opposition. And that, to me, is more useful than plugging in a media hole at, at quarterback. I, I, I just, I love that idea for, for Detroit number six. No, I do too. And I, I mean, Miles Murphy was the guy that I was kind of debating with at that sixth spot between Witherspoon. I will say this, my, my pick of Witherspoon is kind of more than neat. I really do think he's the best prospect after those first five come off the board. I really do just see elite shutdown corner. And I just think about the things that could unlock on this defense so much more than just plugging a hole too, because you're going to have Okuda for another year. And there's going to be questions on Okuda for the next year. He's someone that has continued to look better closer to the box. And I just see let Witherspoon eat all the snaps on one side and then figure it the heck out on the inside, figure it the heck out on the outside, figure it the heck out in the box while Tracy Walker recovers. But no, I, I mean, it was, it was Murphy. It was Witherspoon because, I mean, the second you hear somebody compare Murphy to Trayvon Walker, a Trayvon Walker-style player on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson, and my God, yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm right there with Jan Wilson. I mean, I've had him at number three. I'm pretty high on the guy. I, I, really, I really do think he's a freak. And if he's there at six, like you said, get your butt to that podium, Brad, break the table on the way if you feel like it. That's that One of those guys would be a home run for sure. Man, the defenders in the top 10, I mean, just a really good chance to build that defense out, really compliment what they've got going here for sure. I, I like those options. We've talked a lot about what we would do and what we like. I mean, from a Lions perspective too, and when you're projecting what they will do, not necessarily what we would do, I, that, that's another reason why I picked Miles Murphy for them. The track record on Brad Holmes speaks for itself, right? I mean, he took over a dumpster fire in 2021. Terrible roster that he spent those first months breaking down further. They had needs all over the place. And what does he do right out of the gate? Offensive tackle, defensive tackle, defensive tackle. You know, it's, that's not sexy. Defensive tackles are not sexy. He's not going to win the draft. And if you remember... I think a lot of people were like, oh, we love the Panay fit at the top of that draft. But really, like back-to-back, back-to-back defensive tackles, I don't think they had done that since like the 80s or something like that, you know? But then like the next year after that, he did the same thing. It, it was Aiden Hutchinson at the top of that draft. And then obviously they got, a, they got J-Mo later in the first round, but then came right back with Josh Paschal. And not only was he a, a defensive lineman, but he was a defensive lineman coming through injury. Like... They want to build through the trenches. And everyone says that, right? Everyone says in the NFL, like, we want to build through the trenches. Like, that's how you win the NFL. Some teams talk about it. Fewer teams yet live it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't put their money where their mouth is. And the Lions absolutely do. They've invested so much in that offensive line. And now it's one of the best in the league. They've also spent a lot of resources building up their defensive line. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, I think it, like, really drives their scheme on both sides of the ball. But I also think that there's something to be said for they want a high floor players that fit like the character profile they're looking for. And and a lot of the guys they've taken to the top of the draft have been high floor guys, right? Like wait, what's Panay Sewell's floor? Like oh, it's yeah. good offensive. It's a good NFL starter, right? What is I mean, Aiden Hutchinson coming out, like we all see what he is now, but coming out, he was viewed as like maybe he's not the same kind of high end athlete as Kayvon, but you know, he's a high floor floor, you know what you're getting, high motor, almost like like good attributes, almost said in like a negative context, but they didn't care. They knew what they were going to get. That's like high floor, right? Like that's another way of saying it is like, we know what we're going to get. It's a high motor guy who fits all of these needs. He's going to do what we need him to, and we'll make him good. And that's how I view Miles Murphy. That's how I view some of these edge rushers. I think it's a sure bet on some of these players, particularly when you have the support system in place the Lions do these days with good players around them up front. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, when they inevitably recently John Kaminsky, all these other edge guys we're talking about. Pascal is a young guy, you know, Lee McNeil's entering his, his third year. Like there's a lot of support to help complement whatever guy comes in to help that guy succeed. I, I, I think that is what they're looking for. They obviously need a cornerback and it wouldn't, it definitely would not surprise me if they took a corner six because of the need and some of the high-end players that are there. But the variance and the success rate of taking a cornerback is so much less than an edge rusher. I mean, you might end up with 
Sauce Gardner, but there's some pretty epic busts too. The Lions have one of their own tease table or a second round pick from a few years ago, who we both saw come to Detroit, a second round pick. And I mean, he was awful. And that happens. You know, there's just a lot of variance in the corners. It's a hard position to play as a rookie. It's a hard position to transition to. It's a hard position to, to evaluate. And that's not a reason to not take one. They eventually have to take one in the you see one of six that, that you think is going to be a, a star, a, a sauce or something, then go right. for it. But I think the sure bet is in the trenches. They've done it before. And I think presented with the opportunity to add another elite athlete to what they already have going on in their pass rush, a pass rush that has been miserable for so long. I, I think it's going to be hard to convince me that they'll go a different direction at number six. No, and I hear you. And we both had similar wavelengths on the next one because we both went back to the trenches. We both stuck in the trenches because like you laid out right there, we know what Brad Holmes has done. We know what this team still wants to do and how they still want to play. You build inside, you get big bodies on the inside. I mean, the Levi O pick kind of set them back there, but they have hit, hit, and hit so far since then. So I, I hear you and I love to hear it. I just fell in love with Wispoon. I have a lot of trust, a lot of faith in that guy as a potential star right there. I don't think he's a sauce guy in year one, but I do think he's a instant instant kind of like okay that's what a top elite coverage corner prospect guy looks like but no i i hear you 100 percent. i mean a miles murphy type especially after the week he had is probably gonna have this week is gonna be you'll probably see his name rise you'll probably see his name in that six hole a lot more moving forward because i mean there, there's just it's really easy to compare him to what brad holmes has already done like you said so i can't disagree but i will say i love witherspoon and i just see such a Good fit, and I love his freaking game. I have more faith in him. I, I'm more familiar with him at this point than I was with Okuda, but I, I got a lot of faith in this Witherspoon cap. Let's get to our picks at 18 for the Lions. There's another first jump pitch. It's <laughs> the life we live around these parts. <laughs> what a trade, though. I mean, they got two first round picks and a third round pick to give up Matthew Stafford for Jerry Goff. Now Jerry Goff is playing better than Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Plus they have Jamison Williams, plus whoever they take at number six. It's a, what an amazing, and listen, the Rams won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying, like, if yeah. I'm the Rams, you told me if we're going to win a Super Bowl by making this trade, I would make that trade too. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're in a perilous place while the Lions, I mean, they have supercharged their rebuilds. A big, I mean, it, it's probably the single biggest reason they are where they are, having one out of 10 and, and turning up going into the next year is just the epic haul they got out of that, that trade. It was, it was tremendous trade. Now, so now at number 18, Ben, you had them taking a backup defensive lineman. Hey man. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously more complicated than that, but you have them taking Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher from Iowa, who yes, did come off the bench, although there's a good reason for that. And I'm sure it factored into your rationale. But why'd you go with Van Ness at, at 18? I did not expect to have Lucas Van Ness to the Lions at 18 when I started this mock, but he's someone I kept Oh, that's that guy from Iowa I kept hearing about during the season, looking into him, fell in love with him, never started a game the last two years, never played. He only played 50 plus snaps once, still 46 pressures, nine sacks, PFF top 20 edge defender against the run this past season through the last two years without starting a game, 19 tackles for loss, 13 sacks, production that's just unbelievable. And he looks, I mean... The power on this guy. There's just something raw to this kid's game that I just kind of fell for and just saw such a... Because when I'm picking an edge guy, I'm trying to figure out how they fit with these guys. And Lucas Van Ness is someone that came into this most recent season as mostly a three-technique guy, a B-gap, an inside guy, moves outside, breaks out, keeps his run defense up to where it was, picks his game up a little more. I mean, he was just... I mean, he, he nearly won 20% of his pass rushes last season at a major conference. I love his ability to move inside, to move outside. The same kind of stuff we heard Todd Wash and Aaron Glenn and Dan Campbell talk about with Hutchinson and Pasco last year. Add another guy that can move up and down that line like that. Another high pick, another raw guy, another guy that like, while he wasn't a starter, while he wasn't an every down guy in college, I mean, he, he played his role to as perfectly as you could play. And I mean, he might be one of the strongest defensive linemen in this draft. He looks rocked up and ready to roll on day one. I think he's 6'5", 6'6", 270. There's a lot to work with there. There's a lot to mold there. And while he's not the sexiest edge rusher, defensive line name, I really think he fits just kind of what they want these guys to do in the trenches. I really love his ability to bounce inside and out. And that works really well with a guy like James Houston, who's going to come in and pin his ears back and get back after someone. And Josh Pascal, who can kind of do the things that Van Ness does. But while having different similar styles, I mean, Vanessa, the power, man, the power, just the, the versatility, the multifaceted game. I just kind of fell for him. I didn't see it coming, but I, I surprised myself on that one. I really fell for him. 
I think it, it, it deserves to be said too. The reason he came off the bench. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Is, <laughs> Iowa has a tr tradition of playing upperclassmen. They're not playing, but starting upperclassmen players. And he had a couple upperclassmen ahead of him. He came off the bench. Yes, he was also their number one snap guy. <laughs> I mean, you, you knew who was the guy, <laughs> even if he was doing it, you know, playing snap two versus snap one to start a game. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I And I haven't done my film on him. I, I can't really weigh in in a meaningful way, but I know he's trending up for a lot of folks. And you're seeing Van Ness in a lot of mock drafts in the, in the first round, despite coming off the bench. And I know Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network analyst, said the other day that he'll have him. I, I can't remember where he had him in this first mock, maybe 22, 24, somewhere in there. But Daniel said that Ness, once he heard from teams after he released that mock, he thinks Ben Ness is going to go earlier than where he had him. So I think he's Ooh, at he point. updated him, sorry, to pick eight in his most recent well, mock. Well, so holy go. smokes, there you go. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I'm yeah. sorry, little Google search pulled that up. <laughs> For me, I also went with a big fella. I went on the other side of the ball and I definitely wanted to give them with their defensive lineman. Uh, I, I thought about Brian Breezy. Yeah. Because they need the interior element, right? But he actually went the pick before to Pittsburgh, which I really like that fit Pittsburgh mm -hmm. at, at number 17. At number 18 with the Lions, I had them taking Florida guard Osiris Torrance. Again, not a sexy pick. I think there's a lot of fans not super like enthused, especially when I had Bijan Robinson still available. <laughs> and two of our colleagues, Justin Rogers and Dave Burkett, both picked Robinson, both Mac Robinson to Detroit. And hey, it makes sense. Like they want to run the football. They talk about running the football all the time. That's what they want to be. They have their best season on the ground last year since the Barry years. And we all saw what Jamal Williams did. You know, career backup comes to Detroit, has back-to-back -back career years and you know, broke, broke Barry's touchdown record last year, had a thousand yards. First guy to do that in Detroit since our friend Reggie Bush in 2013. Speaks for itself. Yeah. I prefer Osiris Torrance over Robinson's mother options there. And the reason being is that, you know, that Brett Holmes has said it 1 million times, which is he's not building for any particular year. He is way more interested in building the foundation for a consistent winner. And there's no doubt Robinson fits what they want to do the running back out of Texas. I mean, he's just incredible. He's the best running back by far in the country. His t tackle breaking is incredible. And if they picked him, man, would he be fun to watch? Oh, yeah. offense, it was already trending way up on the ground and their passing game is still ahead of the running game. And Robinson might give them a chance to have even more of a threat on the ground. And certainly we have a quarterback like Jared Goff, who looks like they're going to build around at least for the immediate future, giving him some you know, a running back support like that guy, in addition to what you have come back with DeAndre Swift, uh, is is critical because I like golf, but he needs he needs help. But running backs, like I think everyone kind of knows at this point that the value isn't always there in round one, especially when it, you consider the contract you have to give them, right? Like he's going to get paid way more money than any running back would otherwise get. And those guys get hurt and those guys wear down. And that's not a reason in and of itself not to take uh, running backs, particularly you're seeing more and more about him rising up. And I, I understand, but the way I look at it, Ben, why pick Torrance for Detroit, pick Torrance for Detroit, because they do have some, some needs emerging at guard. Vitae has been injured. He didn't play at all last year. He's got like a $12 million cap charge next year. They can get out of that deal, save a bunch of money, but you still need someone to play that position. And even if you bring back Vitae, or maybe you signed Evan Brown. You've still got long-term needs on the other side at left guard with Jonah Jackson, who is a tremendous player, but he's going to command a tremendous contract at some point in the next year. And with two first-round picks, I think, you know, they have the luxury to kind of take one of these luxury picks, if you will, if you want to view a guard, first-round guard like that. But it would, con would continue to solidify your number one strength on the whole team. And in my opinion, the biggest reason why the offense was so good last year, I mean, give Goff his dues. Aman Ra is amazing, but that offense is built around the line and they've continued to have success. Even when Jamal was not playing as well down the stretch last year, even when DeAndre Swift was hurt, which is always, it's because of that offensive <laughs> line. And I, I, I love the fit with Torrance, just a big ass run blocker yeah. who also didn't allow a sack in college, I believe, yeah. <laughs> but his run blocking was number one in the nation last year. And I just think. If he's there and they've got their edge rusher at the top of the first round, then I think that's an opportunity the Lions would, would jump at. And, and I think it's the sure path forward than it is with, with any running back, even if it's the number one running back. No, I agree there. And with the running backs, I mean, it's just proven time and time again, you can find value in the second and third and fourth round. And while John Robinson is clearly the top option in this class, you can find value in what you're looking for in those later rounds. And 
with a guy like Torrance, man, you're right. No sacks, one hit allowed in more than 2,000 snaps in three seasons. I stood next to this guy at the senior bowl. He is six foot five, 350 pounds. <laughs> My, he might be six foot six because we were eye to eye. And I'm yes. just, he's like three times as wide as I am. I'm a pretty big cat. And this, he was probably the top prospect, the guy that always had like the scout trail on him yeah. at the senior bowl for sure. Cause I mean, six, five, 350 getting labeled as a plug and play guard. I think pro football focus said this guy was built in a lab to play guard. And I mean, <laughs> guard is a pressing, not a pressing, but it's going to be a pressing need here because of all the reasons you laid out. Vitae, age 30, missed a whole season with back surgery. That's not great. Evan Brown, someone's going to give that guy a decent contract. I mean, he's not going to break the bank, but I mean, he's really proven himself. And I think he could make some money as a center. But the Jonah Jackson thing, will they pay him? Won't they pay him? They probably should. He's been great. But you want to keep this thing. You want to build on that offensive line. That's the pick to do it. I, I love that pick. I know it's not sexy, but I love that pick too. I mean, I, I go big. They, they need more big bodies. And that guard is kind of a bigger need than people give it credit for. That's more than 2,000 snaps inside the SEC. No sacks, one hit. And I think it was like, 12 hurries that that's stupid for a guy that's known as a run blocker i mean that's that's impressive work we're getting a little little long here a little little that happened quick yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had look in the habit of doing that it's a big week it's a big week i did want to talk about one more thing before we get out of here and i, I think we have to talk about the quarterback yeah. situation it's relevant to detroit obviously they've vouched for jared goss as their starting quarterback for 2023 and everyone i think is on board with that i think we're opinions begin to diverge is what happens after that especially in particular like do you spend a late round pick on a true backup for him which they haven't done since brad kaya in 2017 do you take a quarterback earlier in the draft hoping that guy develops into the potential successor for Goff? do you use pick six or pick 18 on a quarterback you know maybe anthony richardson i guess is the name that's popping these days considering he he should be there at six could be there at 18 and has maybe the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this draft and have him ride the bench for a year or two behind golf, learn the, the ropes, and then take over from there. And like I said, opinions diverge, and I think there's a lot of disagreement that what the Lions should do. I'm curious, as you did this mock, Ben, where was your thinking when it came to the quarterback? I didn't have much of a thought with the quarterback for the Lions. I just don't see it happening in the first round just because we've been through it the last two, three years. I, I just... You don't take a quarterback in the first round to have him sit on the bench for two years, even though Anthony Richardson looks like the type of guy that would probably benefit from that the most with kind of his, his raw abilities as a passer. I know that gets thrown around a lot, raw abilities as a passer, but the one thing that really impresses me about that kid, just to get it in, unbelievable pocket presence, unbelievable kind of awareness in the pocket. I mean, yeah, he could benefit from a couple of years. But I didn't really, I didn't think about it at all at six and at 18. Those four, I had those four guys off the board because I do see this quarterback class as exponentially better than last year's. And there's a lot more teams at the top that need one. But I just, I don't think it's happening in the first round. I don't think it's happening in the second or the third round. I think maybe you'll see a backup quarterback this year just because there's nothing of substance behind Jared Goff. But I do think he's this team's starting quarterback for the next two years. And whether that who knows who knows what happens after that that's like a train derailment of this well that's a little timely mention there i didn't mean for that but just like uh, just kind of like getting off course of where this thing is going you didn't build this around jared goff but the way you built it kind of worked with jared goff too the it's just kind of impressive how they've kind of re re kind of captured that dude's career and kind of found a little more magic in his game i just don't see them interrupting that as as sexy as richardson is as much as there is to like and that highlight tape and this tape for sure there wasn't a ton of thought for it and i just don't see one of those four guys slip into 16 or 18 excuse me i'm gonna you know i'm gonna cut to uh, daniel jeremiah here because i think he really summed up my point of view that i've been I, I, we've talked about it several times on this podcast i've written about it a couple times too in the past few weeks, I cut to what he said the other day on our conference call that we had with the NFL Network analyst. He's not going to be there when it's all said and done when the Lions pick with their second pick, so it's not going to be a problem. Um, and making calls just around the league. You t the best way to do you know, the quarterback conversation is talk to the teams that don't need one, and then you'll get kind of an accurate feel, just how they evaluate them and what they think. And Anthony Richardson is the, you know, the second quarterback for several teams that I talked to. And, and we can look at the numbers and, you know, I, it doesn't look great on paper and you look at the accuracy and this, that, and the other, he's got elite, elite arm strength. He's a rare athlete. You don't see quarterbacks, you know, running away from LSU with 80 yard touchdown runs. Like he's got big time, big time ceiling, big time ability. 
And, you know, you can find the games. If you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, you pop on Utah, you think he's the first pick in the draft. Um, even Missouri, he makes some big time plays in that game. So, you know, I know it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I know he hasn't played a ton, but teams are starting to look at some of these quarterbacks as lottery tickets. And this one has the biggest payout. So that's why I think you're going to see Richardson go pretty high. The reason I had him there with the Lions is I think sometimes when you have that those two picks, I almost, you know, I say it's a luxury because you're trying to get good players. But when you look at the landscape of the NFL right now and you look at, you know, the high, high end quarterback play, you know, this gives you an opportunity to, you know, take a shot on one of those guys who could be that, you know, he's not at that level right now, but ceiling wise with, with him and Jared Goff, his ceilings, you know, immensely higher. Jared's a, is a, is a solid steady player right now. He's playing winning football. Um, but I think there is a ceiling on him. This, you know, with Anthony Richardson, you don't have a ceiling. So that's why I think you'll see him go, but I don't think, you know, in making just calls over the last couple of days, I don't even think he'll get there. Yeah. Like I said, Ben, I, I really agree with DJ on this. It's not that I have a thing against Goff. I, I don't. He played well when Ben Johnson took over the passing game and Dan Campbell took over the play calling down the stretch in 2021. He played the best football of his career a year later. I, I mean, he ranked among the league leaders in basically everything. Didn't throw a pick on his last, like, 10,000 passes of something. <laughs> it was 300 and something, right? I mean, 24, yeah. Yep. You know, it, like, dude, he was the second highest rated passer December on. You know, the Lions made their push for the playoffs during that stretch and, and Goff's play was, a, I mean, it was probably the biggest reason for it because the running game had really, was struggling down the stretch. Goff continued to produce and I'm taking nothing away from that. I, I think he played really well. And I understand why the Lions would say they want to build around him. I understand why people would want that. But like DJ said, it's about ceiling. It's about ceiling for me. It's, you know, winning eight out of 10 games down the stretch is impressive. I think they're going to be the, the NFC North favorites next year, particularly when you consider what's happened in, in Chicago. I think Minnesota was a mirage last year. Green Bay might lose Aaron Rodgers. We'll see. We're still kind of in the dark about that. See what I did there? Yeah, I do. I like that. No, I, I think there's opportunity there, and I think the Lions are in the best position to take control of that. But where my thinking goes is what happens when you make the playoffs and you see Jalen Hurts? I mean, what happens if you do advance in the playoffs to the Super Bowl and, and you have a chance, God forbid, in the Super Bowl, but you're going up against Patrick Mahomes. You're going up against Josh Allen. There's a there's a different level of quarterback play there. I dude, when I was watching the when I was watching the Super Bowl, the the thing that stood out to me was you, you like you saw so many plays that would be broken plays for 25 teams yeah. in the NFL, including the Lions. There's one play where edge rushers came clean up both sides of the pocket against Patrick Mahomes. And what does Mahomes do? He does Mahomes stuff and steps up and makes magic happen. And it's a first down pass to Travis Kelsey. Like that's not a play the Lions make. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Jared Goff. He was very good. But is he the right quarterback to build a championship team around? A team that can contend for championships year in and year out? I don't know. Like, like maybe he is, right? Like he played really well last year. He played really well early on in LA. But we saw the fall in LA too, what happened. Like, like how much help and how many things he needs going right around him. And I hate saying that stuff because I'm really not trying to like take anything away from what he's able to do and what he did do. But there's a different ceiling with quarterbacks like that. And that's a ceiling that, that, that Goff will never have for as good as he plays. And I think it's always going to hold the line, like the top end of this rebuild back. And Anthony Richardson, I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. No one can say that because he has so much development to do. But he does have the ceiling that Goff doesn't. Uh, like, like, like DJ said, his, mm -hmm. his ceiling is immensely higher. And so it'll be interesting to see the Lions. I don't know if they do it at six, but if they... If they feel about Anthony Richardson the way, you know, Patrick Mahomes is or quarterbacks like that, you simply can't pass on him just because you have Jared Goss. And that's where I land. And if you think he's going to be a bust, if you think there's too much variance in the evaluation, then pass. I'm not like standing on a soapbox to say, take right, Anthony right. I'm saying it's more of a discussion than people want to have about quarterback in, in, in Detroit. No, I'm hey, I'm right there with you. I know. I, I think the one thing I keep going back to Jared Goff is that it's really just got me stumped on him. Nothing about what he did down the stretch felt fluky. I mean, it's really, I'm right there with you. I don't know. I don't know if he's the right guy to build around. I think he is for next year. I think he is for the year after that. But I think, but that's where the Richardson kind of appeal comes in because it's like, oh, then, then you got this kid waiting in the wings right here. But it's just like, 
is that I don't know. There's so many variables, and I just like Jared Goff broke me down the stretch this past season, and in a good way because it's like I don't know how to answer questions when people ask me about his future. Like, if that's the dude that last season's Jared Goff, even the complete picture, if that's the guy, yeah, you can build a winner around that. Is he going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know, but they sure as heck looked pretty good doing it. But so it's just like. Man, he really did. He broke my brain on him. He broke me so much that I had a hard time even computing a quarterback in the first round. I'm someone who, if you're going to take a guy 18, take him at six. That's not my thinking. I'm NFL teams know more about the board. They're going to play the board better. And it's a discussion that I don't think a lot of people, including me, are ready for at 18 if Anthony Richardson is there. So it's a fascinating thing to watch. You talk about guys who might be able to rise at the combine and then among the quarterbacks, he's kind of yeah. the one that's going to be under the microscope for sure. Richardson's going to be a huge story in Indianapolis. I mean, one of the biggest for, for, you know, across the league, but obviously in Detroit as well, just because of their, I think there's some, their draft fates are kind of intertwined and whether it's the Lions take. So first of all, he's not going to last 18. I'm just, no, I'll, no, I'll go out now. Right? But even if the Lions don't take him at six, like just get ready for the Richardson Lions talk. And they might even put that out there. Like I'm fully prepared for Brad Holmes to sing his praises this week. If for no other reason, like you're saying on the sixth overall pick, like Stroud and, and Bryce Young won't be there. Will Levis, I think, also be off the board. So Anthony Richardson could very well be the QB1 on the board when the Lions are at number six. So it's, I think, in their best interest to, you know, seeing his praises to drive up that interest in other teams trading for that pick. Because you've got Vegas at number seven, Carolina at number nine, both of which need quarterbacks and if they strike out on their trades up into the top five or whatever you might be able to swing a trade and if the lines were to move back to seven or nine you can get the same caliber of player as you can at six plus you would add to the draft stock so that's a, a storyline i'm definitely anticipating this week as well in, in indianapolis for sure good stuff man first well out of time <laughs> animals not like we have enough going on this week yeah i will see you very early in the morning and we will be on the road to the combine yep that's right we'll get that timeshare next year This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.